Afternoon, everyone. My name is Kamal. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Minister here, and it's my privilege to be bringing us God's Word from Isaiah chapter 40. If you've closed your Bibles, which I presume you have, well, please open up again to Isaiah chapter 40, page 700 and something. Let me pray, and we'll approach God's Word together. Thank you, Father God, for your scriptures. Thank you for your prophet, the faithful prophet Isaiah. We rejoice that we can learn your ways and hear your word through your servant, the prophet Isaiah. Please give to us, by your Holy Spirit, uh, open heart and open ears, as it were, that we would behold wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, isn't it good that it's school holidays because it's an opportunity for us to get nice and comfortable and enjoy life. Perhaps if we're a beach kind of person like Kelly showed in the kids talk, maybe we can go to the beach or we can go to the blue mountains. We can go to one of those really nice hotels or motels like I think it's the Carillon in Katoomba and luxuriate there in comfort, getting all of our needs pampered to. And in fact, it's the perfect time of year to go on a holiday and get comfortable because the weather has improved. At last, autumn is here and it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just, well, comfortable. In fact, look, the goal of life is to be comfortable, isn't it? We want to have a nice, comfortable house with climate control air conditioning so that it doesn't matter how hot or cold it is outside. We can be perfectly comfortable. And we want to have the grass on our, on our lawns manicured so we can walk with bare feet. Wouldn't that be comfortable? And we want our furniture to be just right. I'm not sure if electric blue is quite the thing for you. It might be an uncomfortable color, but whatever suits your fancy, comfortable furniture that makes us fall asleep while we're soothed to nice, comfortable music. But look, it's not just stuff. It's not just things. We want to have comfortable relationships, to be confident that our friends and family, that they love us and they care for us and we're in good relationship with them, and we want to be confident that our boss at work is happy with our performance. We want to be comfortable with him and comfortable with our work colleagues, that they trust us and we're good to work with them and they're good to work with us. In fact, even the Bible wants us to be comfortable. Yes, sir, because that's what Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 says, isn't it? God himself says, comfort, comfort my people. See? Even God wants us to be comfortable. Well, the God of the Bible does not do things the way we normally expect. We need to respect God enough to listen good and hard to him when he talks about himself so that we don't misunderstand him. And that means listening, respecting the Bible enough to listen carefully to what the Bible is actually saying. So how does God comfort us? What does God mean by comfort? Let's read the whole of Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2 and put this in some context. God says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God comforts us not by sending us on a holiday, 
But by dealing with our sin, by dealing with the consequences of us telling God to get out of our life, of us rejecting him and turning our backs on him. Now, we're kind of literally almost in the middle of the book of Isaiah when we dive into chapter 40. To really understand God's offer of comfort, we need to get a quick overview of chapters 1 to 39. So let's do that. Basically, while the prophet Isaiah was still alive, God's people, the nation of Judah with its capital city, Jerusalem, God's people were really comfortable. By, but they, it was a comfort that came from rejecting God and enjoying worldly comfort instead. Because they got up close and personal with the big imperial power of the time, the nation of Assyria, which controlled all of that green region on the map. Now, because Judah, with its capital city, Jerusalem, because Judah and Jerusalem had this imperial Assyrian protection, they were at peace. Of course they were at peace. The Assyrians thumped anyone who dared to attack them. Okay? And because of this peace and protection, they could engage in international trade. All, they were allied with all the nations covered by that green. And from that international trade, they became really, really wealthy. Like it says, for example, just in chapter 2, verse 7, their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. They had all the BMWs and Rolls Royces and Aston Martins that, that they could get. They had plenty of nice, big, fat superannuation accounts and investment accounts and home loan accounts and everything accounts. They were really, really safe and wealthy and happy and comfortable with a comfort that came from this world, not a comfort that came from the one true God. And what this world gives, this world can take away. That imperial protection and comfort, it did not last. First, the Assyrians themselves, and later on, the Babylonians basically invaded Judah and trashed the place. Assyria got right up to the gates of Jerusalem, and Babylon completed the job, destroying Jerusalem. We can read about all of that in chapters 36 to 39 of the book of Isaiah, so the immediate background to chapter 40. Now, when Isaiah wrote all of this, for him, all this death and destruction was in the future. But it happened. We can know it happened from the Bible itself in 2 Kings chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter 52. But we can also read about it in secular history books. You know how some people mock Christianity and say, ha, 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 the Bible's full of myths, ha, ha. Tell them to go to London and to go to the British Museum and to have a look at the sculptures that the British Museum has collected from Assyria and Babylon that depict the events recorded in Isaiah and 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah. Here in chapter 40, Isaiah is talking to God's people at the other side of this disaster. He's talking to people who have been conquered, who have seen their sons slaughtered on the battlefield, who have seen their capital city burnt, and who have been exiled, 
forcibly displaced, dragged out of their own home and their own country, and taken as slaves to a foreign nation. Here in Isaiah chapter 40, God is speaking to people who are very, very uncomfortable because of their sin, because they rejected God and sought comfort in this world. The amazing thing about the God of the Bible is he still offers people like this his comfort. He offers to comfort people who rejected him, not agreeing with their rejection, not validating their rejection, but inviting them, inviting us to admit that we were wrong, to tell him to get lost and to seek comfort in this world instead. The middle of verse 2, Isaiah 40 verse 2 says, the sin of God's people has been paid for. Now for Isaiah, that was even further in the future because it only happened in the Lord Jesus. Jesus came to comfort people who are willing to admit that we are what the, God, what the Bible calls sinners. That we are people who tend to, to tell God to get lost and hoard for ourselves all of the comforts of this world. So Jesus, he says in, say, for example, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. And the way Jesus pays for our sin, fulfilling Isaiah 40, verse 2, is by dying for us on the cross. The New Testament calls him our sacrifice of atonement. For example, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. And the Apostle John says in his first epistle, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, have you put your trust in Jesus? If you have, then the middle of Isaiah 40 verse 2 is true for you. Personally, individually, your sin has been paid for. This is what God means by comfort. This is how the God of the Bible wants to comfort us. And it's a comfort that only he can give personally, himself. Look at verse 3. Isaiah 40 verse 3. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And verse 5. It says the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now in the Bible, when you see the name Lord, the word Lord in capital letters, capital L-O-R-D, it's the personal name of God. So this means that God himself personally will come to comfort his people. So get excited and get ready. Prepare the way for the Lord. Open the doors. Stop the traffic. Roll out the red carpet. And of course, Jesus fulfills this prophecy of Isaiah. Because Jesus is God. Come in person. Come in the flesh. To comfort us. Jesus is like the ultimate parent. You know when we've broken something or hurt ourselves. Kids, I'm sure you've done this. And parents, I'm sure... You remember your own parents doing this for you, even if it's our own fault. So suppose we didn't follow instructions and we've broken. 
our birthday present toy and we feel angry at ourselves and miserable. Or we were just careless, we've fallen over, we've hurt ourselves. Even if it's our own fault, our parents are there to comfort us. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died and rose to give us a cosmic hug. To kiss it better forever. To comfort us personally as our Lord and God. So friends, seek God's comfort. Don't let anything get in the way, stop you or distract you from trusting in Jesus. Make a highway in your heart. Make a highway in your lives for Jesus. Get rid of every obstacle. Lift up the low places. Bring down the high places. First of all, don't be distracted by worldly comforts. That's what happened to Judah and Jerusalem. They ignored God because they enjoyed worldly comforts instead. We can be distracted by the comforts of wealth. Comfortable house, comfortable car, comfortable lifestyle, comfortable holidays, comfortable overseas transfers. We can be distracted by the comforts of security. We want to live in one of those walled compounds with security guards so that our children can play in comfort with other nice children just like us. Perhaps we can be distracted by the comfort of a career where I get the dignity and that I deserve and the kind of income that I deserve. Now, none of these are bad. None of these are wrong in themselves. Folks, we're an intelligent bunch of people. We're not going to get distracted by something really stupid. These are good things. But none of them can bring us back to God. None of them can deal with our sin, pay for our sin. Only Jesus, God, come personally in the flesh. Only he can do that. Don't be distracted by the real and good comforts of this world. Seek the comfort of Jesus Christ who died for you. Secondly, don't be intimidated by the obstacles in our path. Those of us who come regularly, you recall a couple of weeks ago, I finished our series on being growing followers of Jesus by meditating on the challenges that are increasingly facing us as we seek to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is becoming more and more uncomfortable because people think we're close-minded bigots. Our friends will think we're embarrassing. Our workmates will sort of disapprove of us and maybe even our careers might stall because, well, we're just awkward and embarrassing because we're this close-minded, bigoted Christian that thinks Jesus is the only way to God. Ha ha! Don't let the discomforts of this world intimidate you from seeking and enjoying the comfort of Jesus Christ. People are only people. They can only make us uncomfortable in this world. Jesus Christ is God. He offers us cosmic comfort that goes on forever of a quality that is divine. Divine. 
So which do you really want? The passing comforts of this life or the cosmic comfort of the crucified and risen Jesus? In fact, if we follow Jesus, if we vigorously seek his comfort, then we can share this comfort with others. This is what the next few verses, verses 6 to 8, deal with. Have a look. Isaiah 46 to 8. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Folks, let's be honest. Humans are weak. We don't last and what we do doesn't last. We feel it in our bodies. We get sick. We get depressed. We get tired. We... I had to visit one of our church members in hospital during the course of this week because she all of a sudden fell ill. It was a bit frightening for a time. We are fragile. We're not strong. And our work doesn't last. The things we do don't last. So maybe some of us, we've seen a project that we worked on superseded. So we built a building or we uh, uh, engineered a bridge or something and then it gets superseded, knocked down, and a new building built in its place. More and more jobs are temporary. Maybe some of us here have this constant low-level anxiety because we can't land a full-time permanent job. We're permanently on casual jobs or contracts and things like that. And so we may have this constant low-level stress of will we have enough money to pay the bills and pay the rent. And speaking of rent, perhaps we or some of our friends and family, we've given up on ever being able to own a house because we don't have a stable enough job to get a mortgage. Or at home, the domestic routine, clean the house, Wash the clothes, cook the food, bundle the kids off to school, go to bed exhausted, get up the next day, clean the house, wash the clothes, cook the food, bundle the kids off to school, okay, go to bed exhausted, and the next day, this unremitting domestic routine, it never ends. We are fragile, we are weak, we don't last, and the things we do don't last. God is strong. Anything that he does lasts forever. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he demonstrates, he establishes God's strength in a way that could actually have been seen. And if we were there, we could see it. We could experience it. Because not only did Jesus die, he rose from the dead and lives forever. The risen Lord Jesus can never get sick. I'm I'm never going to have to visit him in hospital. The risen Lord Jesus never gets tired. He never needs to have a sleep because he's exhausted. Nothing and no one can overcome him. Everything that he builds lasts forever. He is unconquerable. And he offers to share this life, this eternal resurrected life with us. 
all we have to do is take hold of the message about him, what the New Testament calls the good news or the gospel. Have a look at how the Apostle Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 3, Peter says that the Father has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can we get this new birth? How can we share Jesus' risen eternal life? Well, the way we get this is by hearing the message about Jesus. Peter calls it God's word. So in verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Do you see there how Peter says, Jesus himself, he is risen from the dead, he can never die. The word, the message of God, carries that imperishable, never dying quality. And that word, that was the word that was preached to you, that was proclaimed to you. If you take hold of this message about Jesus, then you can share the quality of life that he enjoys. What is this message? What is verse 24 that lies between 23 and 25? All men are like grass. Their glory like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall. The word of our Lord stands forever. Peter quotes Isaiah. This is Isaiah's good news, the gospel, which Isaiah, not comprehending perfectly himself, he told, foretold the resurrection of Jesus himself. And he, as it were, pre-evangelized his people to give them comfort. Friends, sickness and disease do not have the last word. Obsolescence and decay do not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. God Almighty has the last word, and his last word is the gospel, the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus. Enjoy it. Take hold of it. If we seek God's comfort, We can share this with others. We can stand in the shoes of Isaiah the prophet and tell people the living and enduring word of God, the gospel. The domestic routine may be never-ending, but teaching children about Jesus, that will last forever. God promises to work through us reading the Bible with our children, teaching our children from the Bible, praying with our children, praying for our children, modeling godliness to them. God himself promises to work through all of that, to bring our children to know and enjoy the life of Jesus himself. Our jobs may be unstable, but the risen Jesus offers us stability forever. In fact, the risen Jesus Jesus offers us work worth doing, telling people the message of eternal life in him. Not a job just reserved for sort of, you know, professional paid ministry staff. Everybody, we can all stand in the shoes of Isaiah. Take the opportunity in this uncomfortable, difficult world of talking with people about the comfort, the strength, the confidence you find with Jesus. Talk with the people when they ask, why, do you, why are you a Christian? Why are you such a bigot? 
when they're trying to make life uncomfortable for you, talk about the comfort we find in Jesus. Just when you're chatting about some of the hardships, the ordinary hardships of life, oh, the job is unstable, you know, the, whatever. Ha- have a, take the opportunity to talk about the comfort and confidence that we can enjoy with Jesus. And as we share God's comfort, we can enjoy that comfort here and now, in this world. Isaiah promised that when God comes, he will come as a shepherd. Read the last verse, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So it's no surprise when Jesus turned up that he described himself saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Let me tell you that even in Jesus' time, this would have been a bizarre shepherd. What kind of shepherd loves his sheep and is willing to sacrifice his life for his sheep? Behold, your God, the God who did not, who loves us even though we tell him to get lost, who loves sinners, the Jesus who came to call sinners, not the righteous. And not only did Jesus die for us, not only did he lay down his life for us, he lives for us forever to to comfort and protect us. They, they, my sheep, shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, says the, the now risen Lord Jesus. Remember who Isaiah was writing for. At the time when Isaiah wrote and prophesied these things, the nation of Judah was very comfortable with a comfort that came from this world and rejecting God. Isaiah warned them that God would rip that comfort away, and God did. But here in chapter 40, Isaiah is extending God's comfort to his uncomfortable people, his people who are suffering, ruled by their enemies in a foreign land. To them, Isaiah offers God's comfort in their discomfort. God will protect you. God will care for those who are vulnerable, gently leading those who have young. And it's the same with us. We can be confident that the risen Lord will protect us, even in the midst of a world that is increasingly against him. Enjoy that. Revel in it. Bask in it. Jesus came to give us God's comfort. Not to make us comfortable in this world by taking us on a holiday. But to give us the joy and confidence before God that we can know that our sins have been forgiven. That they have been paid for. And to know that we enjoy the eternal indestructible life that comes from the gospel, the word of God and the risen Lord Jesus. That is Isaiah's good news. That is the gospel, the New Testament message of Jesus. Seek this gospel. Don't, let any, don't get distracted by anything and don't let anything intimidate you from taking hold of Jesus. Share this gospel. Take the opportunities to stand in the shoes of Isaiah himself and do not be afraid. Tell it out and enjoy this good news. Enjoy this comfort in the midst of the hardships of life. 
You know, this passage, Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2 in particular, it's such an important passage, it's actually impressed itself into church history. The Heidelberg Catechism. It's a document from the early days of the Protestant Reformation. A catechism is it's just a fancy word, a Latin word for teaching. A catechism is a summary of Christian biblical teaching. So the Heidelberg Catechism was written for the German Protestant churches in Heidelberg in Germany. Now, if you were writing in the early days of the recovery of the biblical gospel and you wanted to write a document to teach people what it means to believe in Jesus of the Bible and to really get the focus on the gospel, what, would, what passage would you, would you go to? What ideas would you want to bring to the, to the front? Let me show you what the Heidelberg Catechism puts for what they call Lord's Day 1, the very first question and the very first answer, it focuses on comfort. And the answer focuses on Jesus Christ who pays for our sins. It's Isaiah 40, 1 and 2 in the Heidelberg Catechism. One of the early documents of the Protestant Reformation. Folks, I thought we would conclude this evening by using the catechism for what it's meant to. I invite you to stand and let us read this together. I'll read to you the, sec- the question in red. I'm, I mean it. Huh? Stand up. Let's do this. Let's use the catechism as it's meant to be. I'll read the section in red and let us all say to each other the section in blue, the answer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Please take a seat. Let's pray and conclude. Thank you, Father God, that you comfort us. You comfort us with a cosmic comfort, an eternal comfort, because Jesus Christ has died fully paying for our sins with his precious blood, And that same Jesus is now risen at your right hand. He is indestructible, unconquerable. We pray that you will help us to trust him. Take away all the distractions of anything that might take us away from him. Help us to overcome the obstacles to following after him. Give to us many opportunities to share this good news, for it is indeed news worth sharing. And in all of this, By your Holy Spirit, give to us to enjoy, to rejoice in the comfort that you give. For the honor of your name, amen.